these men and women not only practice, if you come here early, um, they're here by 7.30 on Sundays, practicing for several hours, they practice during the week, and they are committed to doing things well for the glory of God. I truly do appreciate them, and I appreciate those, our, our Bible study leaders, our community group leaders, who study hard and, and present, work hard in the text. Um, and he wants that from us. He wants excellence from us. It brings him glory. And so I am just reminded of that as I see these groups come in and out during the week and um, giving up precious family time and other times to, to do this. So when you see our worship leaders and children's workers and community group leaders, hug them, thank them for what they're doing. This is, this is such need um, that our church has and these men and women fill this. So I'm very grateful for that. Let me pray and then we'll jump into our text today. Father, we thank you that you burden us to worship you. You entreat us. You display your grace and mercy in front of us, Lord, and you capture us with your glory and you entreat from us worship. And Lord, in a sense, you pull it out of us because of who you are. It softens our hard hearts softens our, our hard minds at times, Lord. It brings joy when the heart is full of sorrow to worship you. It intrigues us that we have a God who never, never gives up on us, who has a plan and will see it to completion. And so, Lord, it cries out to us to worship you, to adore you. And we thank you for that opportunity this morning to do those things Bless the preaching of your word, the singing of your word, the proclamation of it, Lord, this day, Lord, in our hearts. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reminded as I was reading the book of Hebrew, I mean, the book of Daniel there this morning that one of our home groups, Bob Burnham and, and, and yes, <laughs> that group, Yes, uh, my mind just went blank there for a minute. Are going through the book of Daniel, so that's a good group to get into. Um, it is uh, uh, it is a blessed book to study, and Bob and Glenn have done a phenomenal job teaching through that uh, understanding of the prophecies that are in that book. I want to start today in Jeremiah chapter 18, so keep your finger in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to come back to it in a moment, but I want to show you a contrast this morning, just to help us see the depths and the beauty of the church in Philippi. So if you were in Daniel earlier or following, just turn back to your left. Um, Jeremiah is one of the, what we call the major prophets because they're longer books. So you go to Isaiah and you work your back, way back one to Jeremiah. I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 11. Now here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read a text out of Jeremiah, much similar to a little bit what we read for scripture reading in Daniel. Both in Jeremiah and in Philippians 1 that we're going to go back to are the people of God. One is called the nation of Israel. They are God's original people that he has called. He still will gather them someday. And then there's a group called the church in Philippi. And I, and I want you to grasp this morning the magnitude of the differences of these two groups. And we're going to do that through the reading of the scriptures. I want you to see their, what they're in love with 
and how God responds to what they're in love with. One group is in love with their own plans, their own designs, and another group is in love with God's plan and God's design. And you will see both the prophet Jeremiah and the apostle Paul, how they respond to these groups. I want you to see the difference of it. And then I want you to ask the question yourself, which group you want to be a part of? Let me show you Jeremiah chapter 18. God has told Jeremiah to go down to a potter's house and study this potter and see him make clay. And what he's going to prove to him is that the clay doesn't say to the potter, hey, I want to be this. (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny? Oh, hey, I want to be a Voss. No, the clay is absolutely, totally dependent upon the potter. He's teaching him that lesson here in chapter 18. And now, Jeremiah is now listening to what God has. Verse 11, God begins to speak here. Look at, listen to this. So now then, speak to the men of Judah And against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. O turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. When we read Daniel this morning, they were already in captive. This is before they go to captivity. In fact, right before Nebuchadnezzar comes with his legions to take them away. Verse 12. But they will say, It is hopeless We're going to follow our own plans. Each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask how the nations, ask, ask now among the nations, who ever heard that the like of this, the virgin of Israel has done a most appalling thing. Does the snow of Lebanon forsake the rock of the open country? Or is the cold flowing water from a foreign land ever snatched away? For my people have forgotten me. And they burn incense to worthless gods. And they have stumbled from their ways and from the ancient paths to walk and bypass, not on a highway, to make their land a desolation, an object of perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. Like an east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the calamity, in the day of their calamity. Now, verse 18, Jeremiah begins to speak. Listen to him. Now, I want you to compare the words of God here, the words of God in Philippians. I also want you to compare the words of Jeremiah and the words of Paul here. Now, look, listen to what Jeremiah says about these folks. Then he said, come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah. Surely the law is not going to be lost to the priest, nor counsel to the sage, nor divine word of the prophet. Come now, come on, and let us strike at him with our tongue. Let us give no heed to any of his words. They're mocking the prophet. Oh, surely this isn't going to be true. Surely the prophets will still have the word of God. The priest will still do the work of God. Verse 19, do not give heed to them, O Lord. This is Jeremiah speaking. And listen to what my opponents are saying. Should God be repaid with evil? For they have dug a pit for me, and they did that. They dug a pit and put Jeremiah in it because they hated his words so much. Remember how I stood before you. Verse 20, to speak good on their behalf as as to turn away your wrath from them. 
Therefore, give their children over to famine and deliver them up to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widow. Let, let their men also be smitten to death. Their young men be struck down by the sword in battle. May an, may an outcry be heard from their houses. And when you suddenly bring raiders upon them, for they have dug a pit to capture me and hidden snares for my feet. Yet you, O oh Lord, know all their deadly designs against me. You do not forgive their iniquities or blot out their sins from your sight, but may they be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. Oh, I read that this week and I thought, oh Lord, I never want to be on the other end of that prayer. Now that's sorrow from a prophet. This is a nation, and, and don't feel bad here, because this nation was given the very words of God. Seas were split, bread fell from heaven, water flowed from rocks. He, he crushed their enemies before them without them lifting a sword. And now they have taken on the gods of the world, and judgment has fallen upon them. Their hearts are hard. Now, I want you to turn, with that, mind, with that in mind, turn to our text in Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to hear a very different, joyful message to a church that has obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ, who has obeyed the gospel. Verse 3, we'll start back a little bit. Listen to the Apostle Paul speak about another group of God's people. I thank my God in all remembrances of you. Well, ours is quite different than Jeremiah's prayer. I thank my God in every time I think about you, always offering petitious prayers with joy in every prayer for all of you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at this. For I am confident for this very reason that he who began a good work will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen to the passion here. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So you may know and approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. What a contrast. Nation of Israel completely have rejected the ways that God has laid down from the conception of their nation now has been destitute. The northern tribes are already gone. They're already in captivity. Now the, the southern tribes, Nicodemus is bearing down on them and they mock their prophet that God had sent to them. But here, a group of people who heard the gospel, who accepted the love of God, who bent the knee, who said, God, we submit to you. What a different tone, isn't that? It isn't hard, is it, to say, hmm, Jeremiah, Apostle Paul, which do you want to hear? It isn't hard because you realize these people said, we will do things God's way. Let me take you one more text just to drive this further, the stop further home. First Peter chapter 3. Verse 
See, the gospel is not, um, it's not a legalistic way of loving the Lord. We don't look at the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, oh, here are the things we have to do. The gospel transforms men and women to long to obey their Savior. It just longs. You just, you're, there's a new desire within you. And here's after this great text on marriage, uh, wives and husbands here. And then he sums up in verse 8 to remind us to be harmonious with one another and sympathetic and loving one another and not trading evil for evil and all these things. He says this and he quotes Psalms 34 in verse 10. He says, the one who desires life to love and see good deeds must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. That was the problem in Jeremiah's day. They spoke evil. They did evil. Verse 11, he must turn away from the evil and do good and he must seek peace and pursue it. This is, that's, the, that's the result of the gospel. You, you are patient and loving with one another. There's, there's a joy that comes out of us. Not, not all the time, let's be real. I mean, we struggle from time to time, but there was a consistency of turning away from evil to do good because Jesus saved you. Look at this. The Lord is watching, for the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. Isn't that nice? He's watching you. See, the righteous are those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. That's how you're righteous, not because of your works, because of the work of Jesus Christ. He's watching you. His eyes are on you. Believe me, you don't want to be anywhere where his eyes are not on you. That means you're not his. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. His ears attend to their prayers. He's attentive. He's listening to his children speak. Boy, wouldn't it be a terrible thing that a child could not have the attention of his father. Dad never listens to me. Oh, maybe that was your case growing up. But this father does. He's attentive to you. But notice those who reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Now look at this great last verse here. But sanctify, set apart, make holy Christ as Lord in your hearts. Let him have your heart. Some of you have not let him have your heart yet. You're, you're withholding it. You're wanting to do some good works and maybe God will be kind to you and fix something in your life. Here Peter says, set Christ aside for your heart. Let him have your throne Hey, you can get saved this morning if you just say this to the Lord. Lord, take over my heart. It's yours. And here's what will happen. You'll begin to be this person, always being ready to make defense to everyone who asked you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. See, be a gospel-captured person. That's what the text is saying. And, I, and as I studied this this week, I was trying to get my mind around this church in Philippi. I'm working very hard at it as, a, as one studying the word of God because they are unique. They, they, they have a, a dying love for Christ and they have a dying love for the apostle. 
There's an amazing relationship there. there. There's not huge waves of sin within the church. And it's because they're so fascinated and grateful for the gospel. Turn back to our text and we will jump in there and start to see why this joy is creating such excitement and such love of this apostle towards these people. Last week we introduced, last couple weeks we introduced the book and we've worked our way down and we were amazed to see how he showed that they were participating in the gospel. Verse six here, he starts to to, to give them great encouragement. And our first point is the joy of our salvation. Notice what's happening here in verse six. Paul says this, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a favorite verse of many, many people. James Boyce, a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Pennsylvania who died not just too many years ago suddenly. Um, this was his verse. This was his life verse. I've, I've heard this from many, many people that this is their life verse. And there's a reason why because when you study this verse, the joy of your salvation is realized in the gift of faith. God gifts people with faith. Look at this. Look at some of these words here. For I am confident of this very thing. It's an interesting word. It's a, what we call a perfect participle. It's pathos, but papathos is how it's said. And, and it means simply this, that Paul is saying, I have been confident, I am confident now, and I am always confident that God loves you. He started something in you. He is going to see it till it's all the way done. That's how, how firm he's speaking to this church and through the word of God to you and I today. I know for a fact that he started something. He is continuing it and he will finish it for his glory when the day Jesus comes. Isn't that neat? I'd love to think about that. So long ago, Scott needed a savior and, and, and God knew about me and he drew me to himself and he started something and he's continuing something and he wants to finish something within my life. Paul has and will always be confident he's fully persuaded that God is going to complete it. This is a good verse for us, especially when you're struggling. <laughs> Maybe a loved one of yours is struggling. Maybe someone you know who's confessed Jesus and they're struggling. You don't know where they're at. This is a promise. Look, I started something. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to see it through. Salvation Listen to this. Salvation is wholly God's work. And for that reason, you can be assured God will see it to its completion. If it's God's work, God will finish it. If it's your work, a lot of things we don't get done, right? We had a whole list in the garage. If you thought you brought yourself to salvation, how are you going to bring yourself to completion? Paul's reminding you didn't bring yourself to salvation. I brought you to salvation. That's what Paul's saying. God brought you to salvation. He brought you to this point. And he's confident that God who started this will bring it through. See, it's the gift of faith that God is giving you. He's gifted you with that. Notice that it says this little word here, and that he who began a good work in you. That little word began is an interesting word. It's in Archimai. It is not only used twice in the entire New Testament. I want to show you where the other one's used, and it helps tie into this. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Flip to your left. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians. 
here the context is Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia and he shared salvation with them. They believed in Jesus Christ as their savior, but now others have said, you gotta do all these things and now they're confused. So he's writing them a letter to sort all this out and, he, and he's, he's very, a little bit harsh with them because they're believing some false truths. And he says this in verse three, are you so foolish? Here's their word, having begun by the spirit, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So here in our text, you would, back in Philippians, you would be saying something like this. Well, I'm, I'm pretty confident that you started by the work of God, but you're on your own to get this thing done. Is that what he's saying? No, no. God started it. God continues it. God completes it. That's good news. Amen? Can I hear amen? Isn't that good news? I am so glad my salvation does not rest on on Scott's perfect works. Because it ain't perfect. And I would never be able to rest. Right? We rest in Jesus. He accomplished it on the cross for you and for me. And Paul wants them to hear this. So this is the gift of faith. I want to help you understand the gift of faith this morning. Go back to Ephesians. Just turn one book over to your, to your right. Go to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I know you know this verse, but I want to drive home this thought. There, there is a misunderstanding within Christianity that God provides grace, but we provide the faith. It's a very misunderstanding, and we have to be careful of that, because in a, in a deadness, he's already said in chapter 2, if you go to chapter 2, verse 1, it says we're dead in our sins, so how does a dead man believe in something? <laughs> he just, uh, it it's, doesn't work, right? So we can't provide, provide our own faith, we can't faith our way to God, right? Because there are none righteous, no, not one, so there's nothing good within us, so how do we produce a good faith? I want to prove to you, look at this verse. For by grace... You have been saved. Amen? Great verse. Love that. We needed grace. We were sinners. We, we named the church after that, right? It's so important to us that grace is so important. But notice the next phrase. Through faith. But don't stop there. And that not of yourself. Oh, hold on here. I didn't faith my way to God. That faith did not create within me some goodness that I could choose God. God in his love who lavishes it on us, these verses talk about, he absolutely gives you the faith to believe. Do you remember the day you put your faith in Jesus Christ? That day, that moment, God said, I grant you faith. It's not of yourself. So you could never stand before God and say, hey, I'm here because I faith my way to you, God. You did the grace. I did the faith. Let's get this thing done. That's not what you're going to say. In fact, look at the rest of the verse. It has to be grace from God. It has to be faith not of ourselves because it's the gift of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, you've heard me say this before. If you come and hand me a present and I give you $5 back, it's not a, it's not a gift anymore, is it? I've just ruined the gift. Now I've purchased something from you. You will not stand before God and say, oh God, you gave me grace, but I survived the faith and that's why I'm here today. Let me into the golden gates. You will say, oh Lord, we are here by your grace, by your mercy. You gave us faith to believe in your, Jesus, in your son Jesus and you'll worship him. 
See, remember, remember our gal in Acts 16? Look back at her. Acts 16, verse 14, Lydia. We're talking about Philippi here, right? Remember what happened to her? Acts chapter 16, verse 15, a woman named Lydia. Paul goes out and finds her by the river. There's no synagogue in town. It's a pagan town. So he goes down there by the river and he finds some women. And here, this woman from Thyatira, she's, she's selling purple fabrics. She's a worshiper of God, verse 14 says. So she's, she is um, devout. She, she says her things and does her stuff. But she was listening that day. And notice what it says. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Oh, I absolutely love that verse. For a couple of reasons. One is I think part of what's written in our book of Philippians is written because of this woman right here. Paul said, I know that God started something in you, Lydia. I know God is going to complete that in you, Lydia. He's continuing and he'll complete it. I believe that. See, that's what, that's what Paul's saying. Lydia was the example. Look, she was, she was you would, if you would have met Lydia, you would say, oh, that is a really religious person. You might even think she's saved. But the Bible says she wasn't. She was a worshiper of God, but she wasn't saved. The Lord opened her heart. He gave her faith that day. Now, every one of you and I have loved ones who don't know Jesus, right? I have them. They're on both sides of our family, Gina and I's family. I plead these verses for people in our, in our home, in our, in our family. Oh, Lord, open their heart. Grant them faith today, Lord. Do you pray that? That's, that's how God works. That's how God works. Go back to our text. I want to show you this is in, in, in our text even. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe, that's the word pistos, faith, not only to have faith, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Lydia, um, members of Grace Bible Church in, in Hollister, California, for it has been granted, it has been a gift for you, for Christ's sake, for you to have faith, but not only just to have faith, but even to suffer, because your faith will let you suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, isn't that good news? Look at verse 13 of chapter 2, follow it down. For it is God who is at work in you both to, to do, to, both to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God doing it. I so badly want to jump into your head and say, do you know what's going on? <laughs> God has known you. He has drawn you to himself and he, he so badly wants you to understand this divine, deep, eternal relationship he's had with you. Listen to these verses. I, I don't have time to take you all of them. I just want to quote some. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Acts chapter 11, verse uh, 18. Peter's just returned to say, hey, God's saving Gentiles out there. And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying this. Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. Whoa. So when Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 6, that I am confident, I am fully persuaded, I am sure of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, it goes way, way back. He wrote the words of Ephesians chapter one by the empowered spirit of God. So God knew us from the foundations of the world. So when Paul writes to Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and all those other people have come to know Jesus Christ, he is saying this, I am fully persuaded, I am fully sure, I am fully confident that God started this, he's doing it, and he will see it to completion. Amen? He's doing your life. Don't be a person who sits there and says, well, that's for Scott, or that's for Lydia. Oh, if you've been granted faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what he's doing in your life. Notice he says that he's gonna do it towards, it to, uh, he will bring you to perfection. Isn't that amazing? That word, bring you to perfection. The, the word there is teleos. And we all like teleos because the one, it's the word we get to bring to an end. To, uh, it's a word used for completion or fulfillment. But here, he adds a preposition to it. So it's, it's, uh, it has a little more push to it, a little emphasis to it. It, it intensifies it here. And it says, here's the idea that, that God will, future tense, fully complete you. And when's he going to do that? On the day you see him. Because it's hard, this life. I want you to think about this for a moment. You say, Scott, I, I, I can see it in my mind, but I know what life is like on Monday school tomorrow. I'm honest, I know the battles that I have. And, and I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to be assured in this verse, if we get anything else done today, is that you come away and you go, here's what I do know, God, with all my struggles and my doubt at times, I believe you started something. You knew me from the foundations of the world. There was a point in that time you drew me to yourself. You gave me faith and grace. And now you're with me today. I believe you're with me, even in my confusion and even in my sin at times. You're with me. And I believe when you show up, Lord Jesus, you will finish this work. Can, can you say that? Can you think through that? That's why this verse is so amazing. Because there is a day, there is a day coming. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8, await eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a day when you see him. It'll all be done. Your struggles, your fears, your battles. Because it is a fight, right? He says, fight the good fight. This is a fight to be a Christian in this world. All of that's going to be done. And you will rest in our Savior for all of eternity. I used to tell the kids, one million, bazillion, gazillion years from now, we'll be still satisfied in Jesus. And I don't even know if that's a number. But it's a beautiful fact, isn't it? See, Paul is speaking to this church. I know for a fact he started this in you. I was there. I watched it in Lydia. I watched it in the Philippian jailer. I watched this church formed by God's sovereign will. And I know what he has started. He will see you to the end. I think of, that, of each and every one of you. 
If you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he started something in you. And he will see it through. So stop fighting him. Stop running from him. Stop chasing sin that, that distorts your understanding of God. And, and when I see men and women get into sin, what it does is just distorts our view of God, of how he loves you and how he cares for you and how he started you and how he's with you and how he will complete you. Sin will distort your view of God, even as a believer. Be like Daniel. Repent of sin. And say, Lord, I know you started something and I, I want to see it to completion. Look at verse seven with me, the joy of being a fellow partner of the gospel of grace. We're gonna get through one more point and pick this up next week. Look at what he says here, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in my, look at this, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. Uh, I want to come back next week and talk about this, the joy of, of the love of the gospel. Um, and, and so I want to look at the bat, bottom part of verse 7 here for just a moment, and then we're going to go into communion. He says, in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, there's a joy of being fellow partners with the gospel of grace. That's why we give money here. So the word gets preached, songs get sang, missions get done. People get funded to, to share the gospel around the world. We are part of that, right? But here this word, defense of the gospel, is a very important word. I want you to kind of see the teeth of this verse. The Greek word for defense is the word apologia. That makes sense? We get our word apologetics from this. Paul is saying, I stood in defense of the gospel and you stood with me. And you say, well, wait a minute. Philippi was here. Rome is way over here. How did they stand with them? They stood with them in spirit. They invested in Apostle Paul. They gave money for it. They sent their own pastor there. They prayed for him daily as he stood among kings. I want to show you this defense. Look with me at Acts 22 real quick. You've got to see what he did and what he's talking about. This wasn't just like, hey, I went down to small claims court, <laughs> had a little dispute over a parking ticket or, or, or over some problem. I want you to see what Paul does, and we'll just quickly look at a couple of things here. Verse tw chapter 22 of Acts. Notice in verse 1, brethren and fathers, hear my defense. Hear my apologia. He's standing and defending the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I now offer to you. And when they heard this, that he was addressing them in Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, and if you follow that on down, he begins to give his testimony and time withholds us, but he, he talks about his persecution of the church. He talks about the papers that he had. He saw people be imprisoned and punished. And he was glad to do those things because he thought he was right. But in verse 6, he starts to bring in, here's his defense, his own, his own experience of salvation. He says, but, verse 6, but it happened that I was on, the on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, and a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus 
the Nazarene. Wow. He's standing before all those who want to see him dead. These are the killers of Christ. He's standing giving apologia about Christ. Verse, chapter 23, I don't have time, to, I'd love to explore all that, but you can read it. Chapter 23, verse 1, Paul looking intently at the council. Now he has moved in front of more council, the stronger council. This would be the Sanhedrin. This is the uppity-ups of, of the religious leaders of the day. Brethren, I have lived my life with perfect good conscience before God up to this day. And the high priest Ananias, this is a different, somebody asked me this week, is it, how many Ananiases are there? There was at least three in Acts. And this is not one of the good ones. Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Just because he said, look, my conscience is clear before God of what I've done. Bam, somebody just nails him. Verse three, then Paul says, God is going to strike you. He's defending. There's times to defend the gospel. You whitewashed wall. Do you not sit and try me according to the law in violation of the law ordered and order me to be struck? He knew his law better than they do. Leviticus 19 verse 15 says you're not to ever strike somebody in a court of law. And yet they did it. So he's, he's here and he's being conspired against. Look at chapter 24, again, sake of time. Now he's moved and he's coming before Felix. Look at verse 10 with me. Again, he is being put on defense. He says, when the governor had nodded for him to speak because the other people came up and said, look what he's doing. He's doing all these bad things. And, and finally, Paul gets to speak and the governor Felix says, let him speak. And Paul responded, knowing that for many years you have been a judge of this nation, I cheerfully make my apologia, my defense. I'm making my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no one, no, no, that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. He begins to lay out his life and how he is uh, devout and he has, he has not hurt the nation of Israel. He has stood for the nation of Israel. But verse 24, he speaks in such a way, I want to say to you how his defense affects people. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know how he says that in Philippians? Pray for the household of Caesar. Pray for the Praetorian guard. He's having great effects as he defends the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One more, look at chapter 26, just briefly. Now he's in front of the king Agrippa. He's moving. They're moving him through all the top ranking of Roman officials. And every one of them, he is given a defense. Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hands and proceeded to make his apologia, his defense. And if you study this, and time doesn't permit us, but read on down through this, this is amazing defense of the gospel. He stands there. In fact, I just want you to drop down all the way down to verse 26. And let me read just a few verses after he's defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says this, 
for the king knows about these matters. I speak to him also with confidence since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice for this has not been done in a corner. Everybody knew they crucified Jesus. Everybody knew what was going on and the gospel was spreading across the land. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. This is a great defense. And so as you turn back to Philippians, I just want you to, sh- I want you to see when he says this, that you were with me in the defense of the gospel. So when Paul stands before everybody from the council to the, cons- the uh, Sanhedrin, to Felix, to Agrippa, he says, you are with me. Now, I have watched our missionaries and many other missionaries do things that are amazing. I have watched men stand be- before those who govern the public school systems on Mindanao, Muslim-run school system. I have watched Nanilo stand and give defense of the gospel and so much that the, that the head, the superintendent of the, the, the public schools at that time gave her life to Christ. And it changed the whole public school system down there in Mindanao because a man stood, he had the opportunity to stand before them and give public defense. And when you talk to Nanilo, he'll say, Scott, I was able to do that because you guys stood with me. I watched it happen. And it was beautiful. So here when he says this, that look, you were with me and you're partakers of the grace of God. I want the church at Grace Bible Church to realize how much we're involved with the gospel. Every week you send me up, I go teach at the seminary. I teach men from Uganda, from Philippines, from Honduras, from Germany, from Russia, men scattered all over Northern California, men from Pennsylvania. They come and we teach them. They go out and they spread the gospel somewhere else. See, I do that because you stand with me to do it. And, and I just got a letter from the seminary this week. And the letter started out, we want to thank Grace Bible Church for their participation of the spreading of the gospel. I thought that was pretty neat. I go, I'm preaching on that this week. We're standing with you. We're partakers with you. See, isn't that beautiful? I started out with Jeremiah. It's a very low passage. I I read that this week. I was reading through the book of Jeremiah this week. And I just said, oh Lord, how low can sin take man? But then I read this and I said, oh Lord, what joy of walking with Jesus. Which do you want? Father, we come before you, Lord, now as we get our hearts ready to receive communion. I think they're really ready, Lord, after we sang and studied the word of God. We truly want to be partakers of the gospel, Lord. We want to be partners with the gospel. Lord, I thank you that as we get ready to hold a little piece of bread and cup in our hands, Lord, that we can be reminded that you have, you have with great confidence, you have started something in our lives, Lord. And though we may wrestle you at times, we may fight you at times, Lord, we may be selfish and go our own way at times, you promised, you started a good work, Lord, and you will see it through completion.
So Lord, I can't think of any way more important to end our service today than to hold that bread and cup in our hands and be reminded. So Lord, we thank you. We just give you praise. I'm gonna speak to you, Lord, on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, Lord. We give you praise that you saw fit to grant us faith, to grant us grace. Not that we would ever boast, Lord, but that we would boast in our Lord. And so, Lord, we want to remember your death, burial, and resurrection this morning. So I pray this morning as we get this in our hands that you would just store in our hearts, store in our hearts, Lord, to love you more, to run after you more, and to find great joy in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.